Father, we lift our eyes up to you. Up. Up to the God who can lift us up. Out of the mire and the problems and the difficulties that we face. We lift our eyes up to a God who cares. How thankful we are to know that you really do care for us. In fact, you cared enough that you created us in the first place. You cared enough for us that you recognized our need of redemption, and so you have provided that through your Son, Jesus Christ. How thankful we are, O oh God, that you care for us. And you care for us at this very moment. Whatever we're facing in our lives, whatever our needs are, we believe in our hearts, Lord, that you're interested in what we are experiencing. We can talk to you about it, and you hear us. And you speak to our hearts and how, how much we need those words that you speak to us. You give us a sense of direction and wisdom and how we thank you for the, the direction that you give to us and the wisdom and that you walk with us through the joys of life, through the difficulties of life, and through just the everyday events of life. You're there. And now as we come to this service, we're so thankful that we're able to be here. Our hearts were touched last night by the message of our speaker, Dr. John Bowling. And we know that you are going to continue to speak to us through him, and we ask you, Lord, to continue to anoint and bless him as we share this moment together. And Lord, as we recognize that not only are our students here, but we have our district superintendent and pastors and staff from our churches here in our community, and we thank you for them. And we are reminded of the words that we find from Paul and First Thessalonians, as we think of these men that are with us today, when he admonishes us to respect those who work hard among us, who are over us in the Lord, and who admonish us. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. I pray for these men, Lord, that you will bless their lives and that you will give them wisdom and that they will truly be the model of Christ among us. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us as believers, as holiness believers, to truly live in peace with one another, that there will be a sense of unity among us. And now, Lord, this is your hour. We are your people. We ask for you to touch this time with your spirit. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, once again, we are at the time of the T.W. Willingham sermon series here at Nazarene Bible College. We've been blessed with a number of speakers over the years since Dr. Willingham and his family established this series. Dr. Willingham was a preacher himself, a pastor, college president, and I did never I never had a chance to hear him preach, but I've heard stories about his uh, his unusual character and the way that he was able to open people up and sometimes make you mad and sometimes make you glad. And uh, so uh, he, he was a unique person. Uh, Dr. Bowling had a chance to hear him, and of course is a part of an institution that has history with Dr. Willingham, and I would hope you'd share that because some were not here last night. Dr. Bowling uh, comes to us as president of, Nazarene, of uh, Olivet Nazarene University. Uh, he began his teaching career here at Nazarene Bible College in the 70s. Taught here, then went to Olivet where he taught, then he became pastor of Dallas Central Church, and from there became pastor of the college church at Olivet. 
and from there was elected president of the university. And last General Assembly, he was almost elected general superintendent, except he asked that his name be taken out. So if that had not had happened, he would have been general superintendent. And we respect a person like that, that, uh, that knows you're where God wants you to be right now. Dr. Bowling, I'm glad that you've chosen to give us this week, and we welcome you back to Nazarene Bible College today. But first, I'd like to tell you that here are some wonderful men and women and faculty and staff of Nazarene Bible College that uh, you should get to know. They're, they're God-called people, and uh, you will enjoy them as they will enjoy you. God bless you. Thank you, Dr. Sanders. Good morning, everyone. Whenever you're with Dr. Sanders, uh, he just starts right in talking about you. I told the group last night I had supper with him, and uh, he just went on and on about the students and the faculty and staff at Nazarene Bible College. So I just wanted to check it out myself, and I think he's right. It's a real privilege to be with you. I'm here because I believe in Nazarene Bible College. I believe in the mission of this place. I believe in how this fits in to the ministry, the higher education ministry of uh, the Church of the Nazarene and beyond the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, some students here are not from the Church of the Nazarene. Our influence goes beyond that. So I believe in, in what you're all about in Nazarene Bible College. I'm also here because I believe in the faculty and staff that are here. Some of them I know. Some of them I've known a long time. And uh, these are women and men who not only have the gifts, training, graces of teaching, but they have a heart for ministry. They particularly have a heart for students in the church, and, and I reverence that. I certainly believe in and appreciate your president, Dr. Sanders and Mrs. Sanders, his enthusiasm, his creativity, his passion for, for the work. And so it's, uh, it's really a, an honor for me to be here. I did have the privilege of knowing uh, and uh, hearing Dr. T.W. Willingham uh, when I was a student preparing for ministry. He came and spoke, and he was a most unusual man. I wish you would have the chance to, to know him. The preaching series tells us that here is an individual who believed in preaching and believed in, in those who were preparing for ministry. And he put his money where his heart was and established this lecture series. He was an unconventional guy. Uh, and uh, Dr. Sanders, you're right, he, he would... Uh, he would just stake out a position that we'd think nobody could believe and, and take you there, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, let me just tell you a quick story. Olivet Nazarene University was founded in 1907 in a little town called Olivet, Illinois. There wasn't much there in 1907. There's not much there today in that town. Uh, but it was the place where a group of people said, we're going to start a school that would integrate faith and learning and got it going. Fertile ground there in eastern Illinois, and the school took root and began to grow and develop, and uh, by the... The, the teens, there were students from all over that were there and then into the 1920s. It looked like the school was going to do very well. It's always tough, however, to fund and to support private Christian education. And that was uh, very true in the 1920s. And for some reason, the school got a little more expanded than it could support and uh, ended up in bankruptcy. And it looked like in the mid-1920s that Olivet College was going to fold, that all the dreams and sacrifices that had been put into place to bring that school into, into uh, a being, it just would be lost. A young pastor from Danville, Illinois, the neighboring town, a great church, great young pastor named T.W. Willingham, was there on the sidelines and happened to be a member of the Board of Trustees and was the treasurer of uh, the school. And he could see all of these clouds coming. And he began privately, never said a word to anyone, trying to anticipate what might happen. And sure enough, when the school finally had to come under the supervision of the court and declare bankruptcy, 
looked like they were going to close. They set a time when they were going to sell the school on the courthouse steps in Danville, Illinois, the county seat. A small crowd gathered on the steps there in 1926. And they began the proceedings to sell the assets of Olivet College. And then, in a rather dramatic move, this young pastor from Danville stepped out of the crowd and bought the school back with some of his own money, but he had been raising money all throughout the Midwest, saying, if this happens, we have to be ready to get that school back. He saved the dream. He saved the institution. Interestingly enough, the day after he bought the school, he was elected president. <laughs> One way to do it. Some of you want to be a president, just uh, save your money and uh, wait in the wings and, uh, and buy, a, buy a school. So Dr. Willingham was, a, was an interesting, wonderful man and an honor to, to share in this preaching series named uh, for him. Isn't it amazing what a difference one day can make in a person's life? Scripture says that if any man be in Christ, he or she is a new person. The old has passed, the new has come, and that can happen in a moment in time. A person moves from darkness to light, from death to life, from old to new, and can happen in just a moment. I want us to see that kind of a moment today as we look at what I know is a very familiar passage to you, Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at the first ten verses. It's the story of a life-changing encounter between Jesus of Nazareth and a fellow named Zacchaeus of Jericho. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then the key verse of the entire reading for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. I want to set that familiar New Testament story against the backdrop of an Old Testament reading. A reading tucked away in the book of Joel, the second chapter, where it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. What a portrait of God. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Even now, the Scripture says, return to me with all your heart. I love that concept, even now. Even now, at this point in a person's life. Even now, regardless of what happened before or what you may think will come. Even now, it says to me that there is always a moment of grace at hand if we will see it and seize it. It's never too late for a person to change the way he or she is living. Never too late to, to discard an old habit and begin anew. Never too late for folks to repent and come to Christ. It's a great message that we have to share 
with the world that even now, 21st century America, it's a good time for folks to come to Christ. Well, we see that concept kind of being played out today in this story of Zacchaeus, the shortest man in the Bible, this wee little man, Zacchaeus. And we discover that even for him, it's not too late. I confess, I think we have to be a little bit careful about this story because it's a rather familiar story. And Zacchaeus is such a little guy, you can lose him in all of the details of the story. And you kind of get the big picture, but miss the message. So I'm going to go easy on the details of the story today. I'm going to, I'm going to bypass the temptation to talk to you about the arboreal history of sycamore trees in Israel. Uh, I, I'm going to skip that whole section that talks about the relative height of men then and men today. We're not going to pull down the screen and look at all of the ways a person might go from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's all detail. It's all interesting. But I have in mind, rather, just two questions. Two questions from this passage. What did Jesus see? What did Zacchaeus do? So, take those simple questions and just kind of hold them in your mind as we walk through this passage together. In the fifth verse of Luke 19, it says this, When Jesus reached the spot, that is the spot where Zacchaeus had run ahead and climbed up the tree, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. It is that fifth verse that raises in my mind the first question. What's the first question? What did Jesus see? When he reached the spot, he looked up. My question is this. What did he see? Well, what did he see? First of all, I think he saw a man who did not want or expect to be seen. Zacchaeus is hiding. Zacchaeus doesn't want any attention. Zacchaeus uh, is curious But he wants to be an unobserved observer. He he wants to kind of be in this story like an extra in in a television scene. You know, the person that stands at the back of the elevator when the star gets on. I mean, there's a person there, but you hardly even notice who that is. Zacchaeus, he wants to be there. He, 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 He wants to see, but he doesn't want to be seen. Very easy to want to hide when you have a spiritual issue going on in your life. Very easy to kind of want to be on the sidelines and and be a bystander and kind of watch the kingdom parade without having anybody draw attention to you and the need that might be in your life. There are a lot of folks that we'll encounter in the daily living of our lives and in our ministries who are there, hidden in the crowd. May God's grace and Spirit give us the capacity that Jesus had in this moment to stop the parade and to see a person who wasn't expecting to be seen. Now, I understand that there is some comfort in anonymity. I mean, it crowds kind of comfort us. We can be there, but, but we're, we don't have to be in, in the middle. Uh, uh, Dr. Sanders mentioned to you that I had the privilege of pastoring at uh, Dallas, Texas, pastor Dallas First Church several years, way back. And about two years ago, Jill and I were in Dallas for a meeting and happened to be there over a Sunday. So I said to her, Let's go to Dallas first tomorrow. We hadn't been there for a long time. So we got up, and, and I guess I hadn't thought about it, but I just kind of wanted to slip in and be an unobserved observer. Uh, I'd been gone many years. I'd had several pastors since then, even relocated the church. So we timed it to arrive just about the time service started, and we came in during the first hymn and sat about halfway back. 
when the first song ended, you know, there's just that quick moment of pause where it's quiet. And in that moment, a woman who had been a member of that church for maybe 150 years, she was, uh, she was seated behind us. And she said in that quiet moment, she said in a whisper that just echoed off the wall, she said, he used to be our pastor. And everybody on cue just turned and my anonymity was annihilated by one whisper. Same is true here for Zacchaeus. He is anonymous. He is a part of the landscape, literally up a tree. He's there and suddenly Jesus stops and looks up. Now, what happens when a person looks up? Everybody looks up, right? Everybody wants to see what Jesus sees. And suddenly this man who didn't want to be seen is suddenly the very heart of all that's happening. Can't hide from God. That's both a frightening and a freeing thing. It's really more freeing than frightening. To know that God already knows everything there is to know about us. And in spite of everything He knows about us, what does He say? Hey, I want to, I want to be with you today. I see you. He even calls us by name. So he recognizes us and calls. What did Jesus see? He saw, first of all, a man who didn't want to be seen. He saw, I think, a person whose company he, Jesus, wanted to keep. I mean, that's a remarkable word of grace, that Jesus stops the parade and says, I want to come to your house. That's the portrait of really how God responds to all people. That's in first. That's the reason Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, not the lost in a collective sense, but the lost individually to find people and see them. So Jesus stops and what does he see? He sees this man doesn't want to be seen, but he sees the very reason he came. And he says, hey, I know you and I know all about you. I can see you. In fact, I can see through you. And in spite of everything I see, I'd like to have a relationship with you. I'll tell you, that is a great word of grace for all of us, that God comes to us looking for that. What did Jesus see? He saw a little man, didn't want to be seen, but someone Jesus wanted to be with. And he saw a person who was perhaps fearful, or maybe he just didn't know how to ask for what he wanted. And, and there again, I think there are people at our elbows who may have a spiritual need and they don't know what to do. I mean, we think they ought to know, but they don't know. Somewhere, perhaps, Zacchaeus had heard something about Jesus in the talk around town. Somewhere, maybe, as a boy, he'd heard that Old Testament declaration, even now, return to me with all your heart. I don't know what it was, but something in his heart revealed to him that in spite of everything he had, and Zacchaeus had everything this 21st century America wants, Money, power, prestige, but it wasn't enough. He didn't know quite how to ask, but he, he just thought, if I just even get a glimpse of glory, that might be enough. But Jesus stops the parade and says, come down. It's good news. It's the gospel. It's what we're called to be all about. His mission is our mission. If he came to seek and save the lost, then we ought to seek and save the lost and find people who are all around us all the time. Some will show up at church, but many will not. We'll have to find them on the byways of life. Well, it's a story of grace, and we could stop right there with the great announcement that Jesus has a way of seeing us and loving us in the midst of that. And we've been recipients of that grace, and He calls us then to go out into the highways and tell the good news and also find others and bring them in. We could stop right there, but the story doesn't stop right there. 
Which gives rise to my second question. We, we, see, we understand what Jesus saw. The question is, what did Zacchaeus do when Jesus called him by name? Well, what did he do? First thing he did, he came down out of the tree. <laughs> Pretty simple. He just came down. In fact, the scripture, I love how the scripture describes it. It says he came down quickly. Quickly he comes down. It must have been an embarrassing moment. Here you have this vertically challenged tax collector hiding up in this tree. And everybody stops and looks at him. Not only that, the scripture says when Jesus stops and everybody else looks, what happens? There's this whole murmuring going on on the side, right? Who, what, who? Oh, oh my, Zacchaeus. What's Jesus doing with him? What's that all about? But that doesn't seem to deter Zacchaeus and it doesn't deter Jesus. But he would have had to overcome that moment of embarrassment to step out and acknowledge his need and come to Jesus. Jesus somehow made, made it easy for him to do that. Probably all of us know something about those embarrassing moments. I had an experience two years ago now, I think. Uh, I left the college and drove to Chicago on a Saturday for a meeting. I was all alone. was there most of the day. In fact, I started home 10, 10.30 at night. Got in my car. It's dark. Uh, it was uh, spring, April and May. Got on, turned on the radio in my car. Now, uh, Olivet has a wonderful radio station, W-O-N-U, 35,000 watts. It blankets the Chicago area. So, I turned on the radio. Uh, it's, a, it's always on WONU. But somehow, evidently, in the dark, as I'm, a seeking, as, I'm, as I'm adjusting the volume, I hit the seek button by mistake, but I didn't know it. And it shifted from 89.7 up to 91.5. Because I'm listening to the music and I'm thinking, this is not all of that, unless there's been a hospital takeover late today. I mean, this was rocking music. And so I realized I must have hit the seat button. Uh, but as I started to reach to turn it back, I heard this voice. Good evening. You're listening tonight to the sounds of Brazil on WBEZ 91.5 Chicago. The sounds of Brazil. The intriguing thing about it was this was early May and I had a trip for the general church planned in June to Brazil. Providential, wouldn't you say? I thought I'm going to have an hour to listen to the music, the sounds of Brazil. I'll learn the language right here this next hour. I'll be ready for this trip. So I'm just listening, and the, the music kind of grew on me. In fact, that particular night, they were, they were featuring a CD by a new Brazilian singer, and they played two or three cuts of that CD. When the, when the fellow on the radio with that magical voice came on and said, we're going to give a copy of this CD to the 14th caller tonight who calls, and he gave the number. Now I was all alone. It was dark. And for some reason, when he gave the number, I just punched it in my cell phone. I mean, I couldn't imagine there were 14 people listening to the sounds of Brazil, much less 14 people who would call in. I thought, my chances are pretty good here. So I pushed the button, busy, push redial, busy, I'll give it one more try, redial. Hello, you're the 14th caller to the sounds of Brazil. Well, I didn't expect to get in, you know. But it was kind of exciting. All the time this is going on, there's music playing on the radio. And this fellow says to me, uh, uh, are you a long-time listener? You know, I hated to say, well, to tell you the truth, I hit the seek button. I've never heard your program before. I may never hear it. I just didn't want to go into that. So I said to him, uh, I've, I've been listening for some time. You know, 15 minutes, I'm thinking. I've been listening a little while. 
And uh, so he says, well, uh, you've won this, won this uh, CD. And so he takes my name and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then, just as he starts to hang up, he goes, oh, by the way, you've also won two tickets to Samba Night at Club Rio. See you there. Bang. Well, I didn't know anything about two nights or two tickets to Samba Night when I called. But I thought, who would know? Yeah. Well, the music faded, and here, out across the mid-continent of America, comes this voice. We have a winner, a long-time listener, John Bowling from Bourbonnais, Illinois. He won the CD, and he won two tickets to Samba Night. He'll be there. You be there, too. Oh, I thought, there goes my ministry, right there. Well, fortunately, I mean, I was embarrassed there wasn't anybody in the car, you know. Fortunately, I don't think anyone was listening. Nobody ever mentioned it to me. And to answer your other question, no, I didn't go to Samba Night that night. But I had that flash of suddenly being unexpectedly the center of attention. How much more that would have been an embarrassing moment for Zacchaeus when Jesus called him by name. What does he do? That's the question. He comes down and the Bible says he welcomes Jesus gladly. I really like that concept. Here is a person, no telling what's going on in his mind and heart, and the crowd is murmuring and all of that, but he comes and he welcomes Jesus gladly. He, he, he somehow recognizes that this is a moment that's going to change his life. And the life that he's known, the hunger that he's had, is just about to give way to a new kind of life. It's a very freeing thing. Of course, in the background, there's all of this, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Uh, if, if any of you have read this from uh, Peterson's The Message, he, he translates the verse like this. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped, saying, what business does he have getting cozy with that crook? But none of that seemed to bother Zacchaeus. He came down. He welcomed Jesus gladly. And then Luke tells us that Zacchaeus stood up. And I, I think he squared his shoulders and took a deep breath as if he is a new person. And what does he say? Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which I have a feeling was a real understatement, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay back fourfold. What a declaration that is. In this moment, this fellow Zacchaeus has moved all the way from repentance to restoration. And that's a trip people don't want to make. He's gone beyond being sorry. Sorry is good. Godly sorrow is part, I think, of repentance. But it's not good enough to just be sorry. There has to be some amendment of life, some new direction, some conversion where we're headed in one direction and we turn our back and we're going to do things differently going forward. And the thing is, he says this publicly. He puts himself on the line. If he doesn't do it, I remember growing up in the church, whenever anybody would come to the altar, uh, it didn't matter whether you were six or sixty, at the end of the altar service, what, what, what did we do? Stood and testified. <laughs> you know, tell. Uh, and, and as a kid, you know, I stayed saying, I want to go all the way with him. That was, that was it. But I, had, I made a public declaration of that. So Zacchaeus does that same thing. He takes responsibility. Now, I understand, we don't really have the time this morning, but I understand that you can't go back and unravel all of the twisted knots of your life. I'm talking to you about restitution, making things right. Some things you can, 
And sometimes coming and getting this new start means you're going to say you're sorry to some people or you're going to write a letter or you're going to do whatever you can. I also know that you can't undo all of that. And in those moments, I think you have to just leave that in the grace of God. But it ought to make the kind of difference that we see here in Zacchaeus' life. Now, there's one other thing that I just want to mention that I suppose falls outside those two questions. And it's this. Did you notice that Jesus did not require confession of sin and amendment of life before he gave that invitation to Zacchaeus? He didn't say, you know, if you get your life cleaned up, you could be down here in this parade. If you, knew, if you were only doing what you should be doing, you could be part of this. None of that. Why is it? Because God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. God doesn't come to this world with a chip on His shoulder. He really comes with open arms and brings this great word of grace. Uh, it seems to me we see a pattern for ministry in this simple, familiar story. The pattern is this. See people as Christ saw them. And look in those familiar but maybe unexpected places. There will be people who live next door to you, who work next to you, who are there, who, who may have a spiritual hunger and they mask it in lots of ways and they don't know how to ask. And it may be that it, it, it begins with an invitation. I, I'd like to have dinner with you. I'd like to do that. You see, people are interested in those that are interested in them, aren't they? It seems to me if the church could experience that kind of winsomeness, that kind of evangelism, where we just see people as Jesus saw them. And then we see in Zacchaeus a great pattern of a person who makes a public profession and cleans his life up and starts this new direction as well. You see, Zacchaeus did more than take care of old business. As important as that was, he began looking forward to life. So as I look at the story, I think about my own life. It's very easy to become professionally insulated in ministry. Most of the people now that I live and work with are in the kingdom. And they're my crowd. And I like being with them. But what did verse 10 say? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, am I going to follow Him or am I going to hang out with the crowd that I like to be with? It's kind of a convicting thing to me. My wife Jill and I have tried now to begin to build bridges into avenues and into pockets of people that don't know Christ. And God has always gone before us in those moments. So I want to encourage you as you get in ministry and get involved in it, uh, keep your focus certainly on, on the church and the life of the congregation, but the church exists to reach out. And I believe God can help us embody this very thing. The Lord can guide us, direct us, and in our lives, He too can be glorified. Let's sing together about that. Make it our prayer. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Not just when I'm in church, but when I'm on the road, when I'm in conversation with those who need you.